So keep that in the back of your mind. It should be really fun. Um, but just know, like, we're so happy that you're here. We're happy if you're here in person, if you're checking us out online. Like, we're just glad to be with you, and we love worshiping with you. So, again, happy that you're here. Before we get started, um, we've just got the ways that you can give on the screen. Um, so feel free to just give as God has blessed you. They do so many cool things here at Southwood. So let's just worship the Lord together. This can be a part of your worship. Um, so let's sing, all right? Thank you. 
Father, we're so thankful for, for you, God. God, I just pray that we dedicate our hearts to you this morning, God, that your presence would fill this place. God, that we would feel that connectedness and that closeness that you want for us as your family, as your kids. Just bless us this morning, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and greet somebody this morning. We're going to sing one more, a couple more songs. So go ahead and stay standing with us. We're just going to keep worshiping this morning. Whoa. 
easy. So we're going to do just one more song. It's a new one. Um, so go ahead and just sit back and listen. If you know what you can sing it. But before we do, um, I had a really crazy day on Friday. I don't know. Show of hands. Anybody parent a toddler at some point in their life? It's pretty much, like, I think it's probably the same as like running the Ironman in Hawaii. Like it's like that. And then being pregnant on top of it is just sheer horror. So Friday we'd had a rough day. It was rough. And my husband and I found this patio set at Home Depot and it was originally $1,200 and like, we got it for $400. And I was like, dude, like this is awesome. All the craziness of this morning, we made up for it. This is going to end up being the greatest day. So we rent a truck to get it home, right? We blow out a tire on the way home and we're renting this truck by the hour. And it was one hour and then two hours and then three hours and then four hours. And there's no spare. There's no jack. And they're like, you're on your own. It says in the rental agreement, if anything happens to this truck, it's on you. And we were like, oh, my gosh. And I remember just thinking, like, what have we done? What has happened to this day? This day is totally insane. And at some point along the way, I think we were like three and a half hours in and losing our minds. And I was like, babe, like, we should just pray. Like, let's just pray that, like, we can figured out something to do and we did we prayed and I think my patience was better after that his patience seemed better after that we had a fix within an hour and it was just really nice to know that like even though we have struggle in our life like that prayer if nothing else was just God's presence with us giving us peace and helping us figure out what to do and um, it really made me think of this verse Cody mentioned it last week um, during his message and it's out of Romans 8 And I would encourage you, like, the whole chapter of Romans 8 is just wonderful. If you have time later today to read it, you should. But I'm just going to read the last couple verses of it, and then we're going to sing this song together and um, just really continue to worship the Lord in this space before we take communion. But this is out of Romans 8, 31 through the end of the chapter, and it says, Nothing can separate us from God's love. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us, won't he give us everything else? Who dares accuse us, whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for all of us and was raised to life for us. He's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or even threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Jesus Christ who loves us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, Neither our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell, can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I just encourage you, if you have time, go back. Romans 8. Romans 8 is great. That's how you remember it. Romans 8 is great. Go back and read it later. And we just want to sing this song to you guys and over you guys just as an act of worship. We encourage you to just lift your hands. Whatever worship posture is comfortable for you, we just really want to take this time to turn back to him and who he is and just adore him. 
And so let's sing this song, and then we're going to take communion, and I'll explain that more afterwards, but um, just listen.
everyone who's here this morning. God, everybody's got their stuff. Everybody's got things that are going on, big or small. God, we want to give all those things to you because we need you. God, you're the only one that gives peace. You're the only one who's our refuge. Regardless of what we try to fill in our life, Father, you're the only one who's truly what we need. Thank you for that, God. Be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So now is our time for communion. I just encourage you, whatever's going on in your life, I know lots of people around here have big things, small things, things that you don't think anybody else can help you with. I just encourage you to take this time, take that cup of of juice and, and take that bread and just know that Jesus is here. He is with you and he is the answer. Morning, everyone. I love music stands because uh, I can get this as close to my eyes as I, I need it to be. It's good to be back at Southwoods. It's been a year or two since uh, I've been here. I'm uh, hopefully uh, your uh, preachers are enjoying themselves out in Colorado, uh, climbing up and down tall uh, tall mountains and uh, recharging their spiritual batteries. I'm uh, glad to be able to be here. Some of you remember that uh, your youth uh, fellow Cody, uh, his wife is my niece. Actually, I'm married to uh, her aunt. And uh, 
uh, uh, Aaron's mom is here from South Dakota. Where are you guys sitting? Now, way back in the back. That's where I'd sit, too. <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, Aaron's aunt, my sister-in-law, Cindy, is uh, with me today to visit family, and so uh, we're thankful. My wife is visiting my children uh, in the Detroit area, and I'm headed there uh, Tuesday to be reunited uh, with her. So it's good to be in Kansas City. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to be in Luke, the 10th chapter today. Uh, title of the message? Might seem a little odd. Lessons from an unanswered prayer. We live in a soap opera generation, S.M. Lockeridge said some years ago. Uh, as the world turns, the young and the restless are on a search for tomorrow. They live one day at a time, on the edge of night, and they're searching for the guiding light. Now, if, if, you're over 30, if you're under 35 years old, you have no idea <laughs> what I was talking about. All soap operas. Our culture is lost on a sea of relativity, groping in a valueless society for the right priorities in life. A number of years ago, when I was preaching uh, in Nebraska, I uh, did a series of sermons uh, over a month, a month and a half period of time entitled Great Unanswered Prayers of the Bible. And there are a few, uh, what many would consider unanswered prayers in the Bible. In uh, 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, the Apostle Paul has what he calls a thorn in the flesh, some physical problem, disability that he dealt with his whole life. He prayed and prayed and prayed that God would take it away. And God did not, in a positive way, answer his prayer. He maintained his physical disability. In uh, all of the synoptic gospels, uh, the night of Jesus' betrayal, the day before his crucifixion, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying fervently as, as, and so fervently that he's sweating so profusely, it's like he's bleeding from an open wound. And what did he pray? One of the things, Father, if it be thy will, you know the prayer, let this cup pass from me. But not my will be done, but thine. And once again, God did not answer that prayer in the affirmative. Today I want to talk about an unanswered prayer in the life of Jesus' friend Martha. Uh, Jesus goes to visit a pair of sisters, Mary and Martha. And uh, we'll look at that passage in just a second in Luke, the 10th chapter. Now, I know some of you are sitting there thinking, wait a minute, Terry, time out, time out. Really, there's no such thing as an unanswered prayer in the Bible. And I do understand that, you know. Whenever we pray, God normally has three different ways he's going to answer any of our prayers. One way is he says yes. We make our request. God hears our request, and he gives us exactly what we want, sometimes in exactly the same, the, the exact manner that we wanted to receive it. Sometimes God says yes in the way we think the prayer should be answered. That happens. And when it does, we rejoice. Sometimes, though, God says, wait. That's the answer to the prayer. Sometimes we make our request, and even though the situation may be intense, 
the answer we receive from God is, wait, I'm not ready to work quite yet. And we have to learn patience. God's timing is different than our timing, and God's timing is always perfect. And then the third way God answers prayer, of course, is sometimes we make our requests and God says, yes, he does. <laughs> In the same way that many of you are parents here, I had uh, two daughters, I've got grandchildren, uh, my grandchildren come up to me. Sometimes, you know, granddad's in, in the house. I'm going to see my younger grandchildren here in a few days. I can get away with Papa, things I can't get away with Mom and Dad. Papa, can I have ice cream 15 minutes before supper time? No. <laughs> no. Sometimes God says no. And how many of you can bear testimony <laughs> that you are so thankful of some of the prayers you've made, and God chose to say no. <laughs> and you don't realize until a few years later how important it was that God said no. Sometimes we'll have to wait until we stand before God's throne to fully understand why he said no in certain situations. So I understand that there is no such thing as an unanswered prayer. So today we're going to uh, listen in on one of these so-called unanswered prayers <laughs> when the answer wasn't an immediate yes, and hopefully learn some lessons. Let's put the uh, passage up on the screen, and I'm reading from the, the English Standard Version. The text in the the ebb and flow of Jesus' ministry. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, up to Jesus, and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her, to, tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, that, that's an unusual prayer, isn't it? Uh, but after all, what is a prayer? It's speaking to God. <laughs> and here is Martha speaking to God, incarnate in the person of Jesus, face to face. And in Jesus' failure <laughs> to grant Martha's request, I hope that I at least, and maybe you can come along the journey with me, we can learn at least maybe three important lessons that will help us navigate our lives through this soap opera world of ours. Now, here's the first lesson. Listen to this carefully. It's possible to have the right motivation in life, but still have the wrong priorities. Let me say that again. It's possible to have the right motivation in life, 
but to have the wrong priorities. Now, this is the story of Martha's dilemma. Jesus has come to her home, the home of these two sisters, Mary and Martha. And once he arrives, he begins to sit and to chat. And if you know anything about Jesus in the Gospels, what is he chatting about? He's chatting about the deep things of God and how they relate to the individual personal life of every individual that he's interacting with. And Mary gets caught up in all of this. Mary, it was so enthralling that Mary stopped what she was doing. And the text says she simply sat at his feet, drinking in every last word that Jesus had to say. Martha, on the other hand, is distracted by all the preparation for the meal. And the word here, distracted, in the original language means being pulled in different directions and dragged in different directions at the same time. Any of you feel like that happens to you five or six hundred times a week? How many of us feel like we're being pulled in about ten different directions every single day of the week? After all. Martha has the right motivation. She wants to serve Jesus and please Jesus. And she wanted everything to be just right. I have to make a great impression on Jesus, the great teacher. He's come to our house. The meal has to be just right. The table needs to be set just so. The, uh, the house has to be immaculate. The napkins have to be folded. The chairs have to be arranged. And what is my sister doing? She's just sitting, sitting there. And then comes the prayer. Now, as we've said, a prayer is speaking to God. And so Martha speaks her prayer to Jesus face to face. And here's the prayer. Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to get off her tush and help me. And Jesus, of course, as we've seen, refuses to answer the prayer. Do you know why? Because the prayer showed that Martha's motivation was correct, but her priorities in this situation were all wrong. All wrong, some people might say. How could that be? After all, she was the one cooking. She was the one cleaning. She was the one working and sweating. All for Jesus. See, Martha's problem wasn't her motivation. She wanted to serve Jesus. But she was going about it in this situation in the wrong way. In the 1980s, Gordon MacDonald wrote a book about this very problem. Some of you may have read this book or own it. It's called Ordering Your Private World. It's, uh, it's a wonderful book. My wife, Carol, uh, bought it back in the uh, middle 1980s and read it. It's one of the few books other than the Bible that my wife said these words about. That book changed my life. McDonald uh, talks and draws a sharp contrast between the man and the woman who is driven to succeed in our soap opera society and the servant who is simply called to become a humble disciple of Christ. And 
sometimes I don't like reading long quotations, but I want to read you somewhat of a lengthy quotation from that book by Gordon MacDonald. He writes, I believe, quote, I believe that one of the great battlegrounds of our age is the private world of the individual. There's a contest that must be fought particularly by those who call themselves practicing Christians. Among them are those who work hard, shouldering massive responsibilities at home, at work, at church. They're good people, but they're very, very tired. And thus, they too often live on the verge of a sinkhole-like collapse. Why? Because they become too public world-oriented while ignoring the private side of their lives to the point that it almost becomes too late. He goes on to say, our Western cultural values have helped to blind us to this tendency. We naively are inclined to believe that the most publicly active person is the most privately spiritual person. In the Christian world, we assume that the larger the church, the greater the spiritual blessing. The more information a person has about the Bible, we think the closer they must be to God. And because we tend to think like this, there's a temptation to give imbalanced attention to our public world at the expense of the inner private world. More programs, more meetings, more learning experiences, more relationships, more busyness until it all becomes so heavy at the surface of life that the whole thing trembles on the verge of collapse. Fatigue, disillusionment, failure, defeat all become frightening possibilities when the neglected private world can no longer hold the weight. Wow. In quotation. Is it possible, is it possible <laughs> to have the right motivation in our Christian lives <laughs> and yet forget the most important issues in our spiritual lives? Spending time quietly at the feet of Jesus Yes, I'll say it each and every day, learning what it means to become his servant, not just being busy and worried and upset about so many things. I, uh, I've been in the ministry a long time. This is, uh, I was in preaching ministry almost 20 years before I came to Ozark Christian College. And this year will begin my 30th year of full-time teaching at Ozark Christian College. And, unless the Lord gives me a great revelation that I'm not aware of, my final year of teaching at Ozark Christian College. And I'm not sure what I'm going to be uh, doing uh, after this year. I've already had churches uh, contact me uh, about coming on staff. I, I'm not going to be sitting around watching soap operas. I can guarantee <laughs> that in my retirement. But it's been my experience over 50 some odd years in being in churches and in college settings that yes, some of the hardest working people in churches or parachurch organizations are at times the most spiritual. But it's also been sometimes my experience 
that some of the hardest working people in churches and parachurch organizations are at times the least spiritual people. Why do I say that? <laughs> Number one, personal experience. I know enough about the Bible and I know enough about how to be in front of people that I can put it on autopilot and you wouldn't know the difference. But I know the difference. God knows the difference. And I know from personal experience from watching the lives of other Christian workers. You know, I talked about that wonderful book, Ordering Your Private World, and the author, uh, Gordon MacDonald. Do you know, three years after, three or four years after he published that book in 1980, he became so well known and so, so famous and so busy that he failed to heed his own advice and he fell into a horrible moral indiscretion and had to leave the ministry for several years. He went on a spiritual hiatus. He reestablished the relationship with his wife. And in the late 1980s, he wrote another book. It was entitled Rebuilding Your Broken World, which is also a wonderful book. And he's been a pillar of Christian integrity since that time. I think he uh, finished, his, uh, finished his career being the, uh, the president of uh, Denver Seminary in Denver, Colorado, where uh, several of my colleagues got their doctorates. And so let's learn an important lesson today. It is possible to have the right motives in our life and to work hard, <laughs> but not always get our priorities straight. And if that occurs very little lasting good is going to be accomplished in our lives. So that, that's lesson number one. Here's lesson number two. Lesson number two. Wrong priorities sometimes will lead to, long, to wrong prayers. Wrong priorities sometimes will lead to wrong prayers. Because Martha's priorities were out of order, she didn't have a firm handle on the true nature of life's situation. All she could see was her labor, her effort, her sweat, and here was her sister sitting, that's right, just sitting while all this work had to be done. And she thought, she thought, you know, the thing that Jesus wants most, the thing that will truly impress Jesus is work, 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 work. That's what Jesus wants. <laughs> and, and because of that, her top priority <laughs> was work. Her prayer is totally inappropriate. Imagine this. <laughs> Jesus is in teaching of the deep things of God in the living room. And Martha comes storming in and she interrupts the teaching and says, Lord, don't you care? That's a direct quote. Lord, don't you care? Now, I don't know about you, but husbands... I know when my wife comes into the room and she says, Bolin, don't you care? She's not asking a question. <laughs> she's making an indictment. What she's really saying is, Bolin, you don't care, you bum. Get with the program. And so here's Martha coming into God incarnate in her living room. And she's making an accusation. Lord, don't you care? She says, I'm doing all the work around here. And here's my sister sitting around and you're letting it happen. <laughs> wow. 
Do you see the folly of Martha's prayer? Because her priorities are out of whack, her prayer life is out of whack. (laughs) Things don't go well if your priorities are wrong. I read a story about a Minneapolis uh, judge. His name was John A. Weeks, and uh, this was a number of years ago. He was a stickler for courtroom etiquette. When he came into the room, everyone stood. All hats had to be removed if there were hats on in the courtroom. The people were seated, and as the first case was going on, uh, Judge Weeks looked out over the courtroom, and there was a fellow sitting in the back that had not removed his hat. He says, Bailiff, remove that man from the courtroom. He won't remove his hat. So they threw the fellow out of the courtroom. About an hour later, the bailiff called for the, uh, for the case of George A. Rudge to come before the judge. They said, would Mr. Rudge come forward? Nobody came forward. The judge became indignant. Where is he? The bailiff said, well, you threw him out of the courtroom <laughs> about an hour and a half ago. Police may still be looking for him. I don't know. You see, wrong priorities lead to wrong requests, and God will not answer prayers that are contrary to his will for our lives. We are to pray. What are we to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, holy, hallowed is thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And until we get our spiritual priorities right, our prayers will usually be outside of God's will, and God will not give us those things which go contrary to his will for our lives. Can you imagine what would have happened if Jesus would have honored Martha's request? Here Jesus is sitting, teaching the deep things of God and the truth of how the universe actually works and where we fit into it all. And he's coming to the climax of his teaching that's going to change Mary's life forever. What would have happened if Jesus would have answered that prayer? Mary would have had to have jumped up and said, Jesus, Jesus, I'm fine. I'm sure this is all good and fine, but I have to go mash the potatoes. (laughs) Let's remember the lesson. Wrong spiritual priorities often lead to wrong prayers. Finally, lesson number three. The top priority in life, the top priority in life is to sit at Jesus' feet. What does that mean? It means to become his disciple. In life, we have to discover the most important thing and then give our life over to it. And what is the Christian's top priority? Jesus is pretty clear on this. The text says in Luke 10, 41, Martha, Martha is answering Martha's prayer. You're anxious, you're troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus' tender reply contrasts Martha's fretting and fussing with the one thing that is really, really needed. 
life has few necessities. And at times, we can live without what's uh, going on all around us. Most of us spend all of our life working, 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 so we can have money, 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 so we can buy things that we don't need <laughs> with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. And then after 10 years, we sell it all at garage sales. Is that all there is to life? The only thing that the Christian understands that is absolutely necessary is total dependence on Jesus. Gordon MacDonald has rightly said, if my private world is in order, it will be because I am convinced that the inner world of the spiritual must govern the outward world of activity. I will admit to you that one of my, uh, one of my uh, joys in life is athletics. And now that I'm older, I've hung up the uh, softball cleats and uh, don't play football anymore, even uh, touch football. Uh, but I do golf. I do golf. And uh, through the years, one of my favorite golfers is this fellow. Some of you might know him. He's in his 80s now. Saw him a couple of years ago at a tournament, a seniors tournament. He played a, uh, a, uh, a display round of golf with Jack Nicklaus and Lee Trevino. He even came over and shook my hand when I shouted out to him uh, something that uh, I knew he would appreciate. Uh, his name's Gary Player. Uh, Tiger Woods has won more tournaments than any other person in the United States, but Gary Player has more, won more golf tournaments worldwide than any other person that's ever lived. Uh, a, a gentleman, a spokesman for the game, as I've said, he's uh, in his 80s now. When Player was competing in tournaments, people constantly came up to him after the tournament was over, giving him articles to uh, sign, you know, get the autograph. And uh, Player was always... Uh, uh, a, a consummate gentleman, South African uh, golfer, British accent. Uh, but often, he said, I read an article, he was talking about this, often people come up and while he's signing their autograph, being, being pleasant, they would say, oh, Mr. Player, I'd give anything to be able to hit a golf ball like you. And on one particularly tough day, a tired and frustrated Gary Player was signing autographs after his round when he really would have preferred to have been in the uh, locker room. And somebody came up and said that one time too many. Oh, Mr. Player, I'd give anything to be able to hit a golf ball like you. And Gary Player stopped writing the autograph and he said, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. You, you, you'd give anything to hit a golf ball like me? Well, anybody would like to hit a golf ball like me if it was easy, but it's not easy. It's hard. Do you know what you've got to do to hit a golf ball like me? You've got to get up in the morning at 5 o'clock. You've got to go out to the driving range. You've got to hit 1,000 golf balls. You've got to hit golf balls until your hands start bleeding. And then you go back into the clubhouse and you bandage up your hands and you go out and hit another 1,000 golf balls. And you do that seven days a week for... 40 years like I have, and then you might be able to hit a golf ball like me. Don't sit there and say you'd give anything to hit a golf ball like me, because you wouldn't. Here, have a nice day. <laughs> well, you know, some people say, oh, I'd give anything to be a better Christian. Really? Really? 
I've had the privilege of working with saintly men at Ozark Christian College. My first year there, 30 years ago, I got to the library, 6 o'clock my first morning, going to impress people, get there before anybody else. When I pulled onto campus, the library was already lit up. <laughs> I went in uh, to the stacks, and uh, one of the older professors, some of you might know this name, Wilbur Fields, biblical archaeologist, world-known uh, biblical archaeologist. He's gone home to be with the Lord uh, several years ago. He was there. <laughs> I, I've learned that he'd gotten there about an hour to an hour and a half before I showed up. He normally got to campus around 5 in the morning. Studied for two hours every, every morning before the students began to arrive. Every morning. And I remember the first day I met him. I, I, I'd heard about Brother Fields. And I went into the stacks and I heard, I heard somebody singing hymns <laughs> out in the stacks of the library. And uh, so I went over and there was Brother Fields actually sitting on the floor with a stack of books bes beside him, fumbling through, looking for uh, the information that he was seeking. And uh, I said, Brother, Brother Fields, he goes, Brother Boland, I've wanted to meet you. I knew you were coming. He goes, oh, dear brother, I've prayed for you for 20 minutes this morning already. I'm so glad you are here. I love you, dear brother. God bless you. That's really what he said. And I remember thinking, is this guy for real? <laughs> I mean, really. And I found out over the next 20 years that, yeah, he was for real. That's the way he always was. Always, every day, that's where he was. Uh, we had another professor, the founder, one of the founding deans of the college that was there when I came. His name was Seth Wilson. Seth Wilson's M. modus operandi was late night study. He'd stay on campus and study until 2 or 3 in the morning. In fact, the joke was sometimes he would pass Brother Fields out in the parking lot. As he was going home to sleep, Brother Fields was coming uh, to study. But, but I, we, I'd, we'd have students in those early years, and they would take Brother Fields' class, and they go, oh, he is so close to the Lord. It's like the Lord is so real to him all the time. I, I want to be like that. I said, then you better get your behind out of bed in the morning and start spending time with Jesus, not for your assignments, but for who you are on the inside. Because that's what it takes. A servant who bypasses spending time with Jesus daily in prayer and, and the word is one who will never have the type of character that God desires in each of us. Listening to Jesus is the one true thing which we need, the one thing which can never be taken away. Being is a prerequisite for doing. Now, yes, life is busy and lots of things have to be done. Tell us all about it. But being has to be the prerequisite for doing. Billy Graham told a story about a family years ago from South Carolina who went to New York City on vacation. And they went to Broadway. And back in those days, when this happened, 
the big musical on Broadway, and this is quite a, quite a while ago, was, are you ready for this? My Fair Lady. My Fair Lady. Still one of my favorite mu musicals. Younger people, My Fair Lady's kind of like Hamilton. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> but this couple had said, hey, we're going to New York. They came from a pretty small town in, the, in South Carolina. We're going to New York. We're going to Broadway. We're going to see My Fair Lady. Going to see George Harrison's, you know, Professor Pickering. You know, it's, it's going to be great. Well, they, you know, they're small town people. They don't realize shows get sold out. <laughs> they get to New York City. They hadn't bought their ticket. They went down to the theater. They found out that the show was sold out for months no chance that they were going to get in. Well, they're embarrassed. We've told everybody in town. Everybody in town, we've told that we're going to go see this and, and <laughs> we can't get in. What are we going to do to save ourselves the embarrassment? So here's what they did. While they were down there uh, it, at, the, uh, at the theater, they decided to go into the gift shop and they bought souvenir programs of the uh, musical and they bought, uh, they bought uh, cassette tapes, that's uh, kind of real ancient. <laughs> and uh, and they, uh, they went outside and they found some, some used ticket stubs in the gutter from people that had dropped them. And they took all that and they went back to their motel room. And when they weren't sightseeing, they listened to the songs of the musical and memorized them. And so when they went home, they showed everybody their programs and their ticket stubs and were humming the uh, tunes of the musical, and they'd never, ever actually seen it themselves. You know, there are people in the church that are kind of like that. <laughs> you know, they, they're very active. They know all the songs. They support the right causes. They're whistling the tunes that belie the fact that something is really missing deep down inside their hearts. They admire Christ. They identify with his teachings. But they can't be said to love him because they don't know him. Because they never spend time. With him. Is that possible? To some people in the church, Jesus still is somewhat of a stranger. Well, there's my sermon. Have we become so busy working and serving and teaching and attending and planning and preaching or whatever else we do that we've forgotten what Jesus? really, really wants first and foremost from each and every one of us? Martha's unanswered prayer teaches us, perhaps, at least it teaches me, that it's time to get the priorities straight. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion. It won't be taken away from her. May God grant us, we all have the right motivation. We want to serve Christ. Let's get those priorities straight. I preach all these sermons to me. 
I figure all of you can listen in. <laughs> Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we are thankful for the people in our lives who have shown us who you are. They've shown us through preaching and teaching, but more often they've shown us in the way they live their lives, in the ebb and flow of the busyness of the day, that you are chief and foremost in everything that is said and done. Give us insight, Lord, and a stick to spirit to dedicate ourselves to sit at your feet and learn of you to become what you want us to become so that we might do what you desire us to do. Grant us your grace for these great works. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And as Forrest Gump, that great theologian, said, that's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> God bless you. Thank you for being here.